0: Good morning, uh, Fellowship Asheville. Listen, no matter who you are or where you are, we are very glad we get to be the church with you today. Uh, t- today, we're going to be sharing something that's been stirring in my heart lately, especially with all the stuff that we have going on around us. And so grab your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be going through verses 12 through 22. And, and as you're turning there, uh, this question that I've been pondering lately is this. It's how do we as the church, respond to each other, right? Like, like, especially in light of all the issues that we have going on today, right? This, this issue of whether or not to wear a mask or, or to not wear a mask, this, this issue of how do we respond to, to racial injustice. And so my questions really too aren't Uh, that's been stirring around in my mind, they're they're not like, how do we as the church respond to those outside the church? Um, Really what's been stirring in my mind and heart is how do we respond to those inside the church that think differently than we do, that behave differently than we do? And, and, And so my question is this, how do we treat each other when we are different, right? How do we treat each other when we're so different? And so uh, let me ask you, when, when, when I talk about how do we treat each other when we're so different, does, does that resonate with you? And, and, and maybe, maybe this ha- does. Maybe you've seen a post on social media of one of your friends, and, and the post that they made made you wonder if you should be friends with them anymore, right? Has that ever, has that ever happened? Have you been in a conversation and it got to that awkward part? you know, where you don't know what to say, and so you kind of wanted just to leave the conversation? Has that, has that ever happened? Maybe, maybe you've watched the news lately, and, and you've seen all this stuff going on, and if so, I think there's one word to describe the times that we're living in. And it sounds a little dramatic, but I think that word is hostile. Right now, hostile simply means unfriendly or antagonistic. Right. And so so let me ask you, do you do you sense a growing hostility in our culture? I know I sure do on a small scale. Like I said, I see it on social media. I'll see somebody make a post and then it turns into this string of negative comments, even even argumentative comments just like that. I've I've seen I've seen protests turn violent and all that stuff is happening outside of. Of the church. All that stuff is happening in our culture. I think it's, it's real easy to say that there is this growing hostility in the air. But like I said, we're not, we're not talking about how do we deal with that. That's a whole different topic for another day. We're talking about what does it look like on the inside. And so, so take a minute with me and, and just kind of pause and, and breathe. And, and let me ask you this question. What happens if you look inside your own heart right now? Do you sense Hostility in your own heart over stuff. Give me, give me a like if, if any of these sound familiar. Kids, have you ever wanted to just hit your brother or sister? Right? Like, like words just stop and you want to you wanna hit them. Right? I'm not, I'm not advocating that, by the way, just to be clear. But have you ever wanted to? That feeling, that feeling of anger, that's, that's hostility. Now, adults listening to this, do you ever want to just hit someone, right? Right? Again, I'm not advocating that. I don't think that's a good way to to handle this. But do you ever want to? That feeling feeling is, is hostility. That's the feeling that I'm talking about. Now many of us have been in the church long enough to that our hostility in the church looks very different than it does in the in the news that we see, right? Because we know better than to hit. Our hostility is just it is much more subtle, but y'all listen to me. It is just as dangerous because here's here's what hostility looks like. When, when hostility is in our hearts and, and when it seeps out into a church, here's what it looks like. Hostility doesn't look like hitting each other. Oftentimes it doesn't look like raising our voices and screaming at each other. It simply looks like separation. That's what hostility looks like. Maybe we choose to just block that person on Facebook or choose to unfriend them. Maybe we just don't show up to places where we know they're going to be. You see, our hostility in the church can look like gossip. It can look like slander. If you're from the South, we can say, bless their hearts, right? And we don't mean bless their hearts. We mean there's something that we disagree on. You see, whatever, whatever form hostility takes, particularly in a church and in our own hearts, the result is the same, and it is this. It is division, right? Being unfriendly, being antagonistic. It causes division. Now, what happens when division makes its way into a church? What happens when division makes its way into Fellowship Asheville? And y'all, just to be clear, I'm not talking about dividing over heresy, right? I'm not talking about dividing over over errors in the gospel. I'm talking about dividing over those little things, those annoyances. I'm talking about dividing over those political things, all those things that are in our culture right now. What happens when that type of division seeps into a church? What happens when it seeps into Fellowship Asheville? Because one of the things I love about Fellowship Asheville, and I say this over and over and over again, that at Fellowship Asheville, you can be anything except a liar, right? And so what that means is that you bring all of yourself to this church. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful that we have a church that's a safe and brave place to do that. But but, but what happens when we bring our hostility with us? How do we respond to each other and that hostility? What do we do with it? Well, this is what we're going to see today. As we go through this book, as we go through this, these verses in Ephesians, we're going to work through these verses, and I want you to keep two uh, phrases in your mind, right? Verses 12 through 18, you're going to see this phrase quite a bit, you were. In verses 19 through 22, you're going to see another phrase quite a bit, you are. You were and you are. Well, let's, let's look and see what Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, has to say to this church in Ephesus and through them to, to, to us, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse uh, where are we starting? Verse 12 says this. It says, Remember that, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now there's this kind of beginning of this you were section, right? What Paul is doing here is he's reminding those uh, who receive this letter, he's reminding those of who read it, uh, that before they became followers of Jesus, they were separated from Christ. Right? And being separated from Christ meant that they didn't have a relationship with God. And if they didn't have a relationship with God, they didn't have a relationship with the people of God. And so, so before they came to Christ, they were separated from, from God and they were separated from the people of God. And because of that, they had no hope. And, and I love what Paul's implying here is that, is that when you are connected to God through Jesus, when you are connected to God's people through Jesus, one of the byproducts of that is hope. And y'all, I don't know about you, but, but hope is a valuable commodity in today's time, All right? And that hope, Paul says, is found in a relationship with God, and a relationship with his people. But Paul's point is that before you came to Christ, you were without those things. Well, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, but now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, this seems like a really simple statement, right? You, you were far, but you have been brought near. But it needs some explanation, because what Paul is doing here is he's using this temple imagery. Because the people that would have received this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus would have been a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. So it would have been a mixture of people who were of the nation of Israel, right? And, and, and the Gentiles are people who were part of any other nation And they've all said yes to Jesus. That's the people who who would receive this letter. And so this this imagery that Paul is referencing would be very familiar to them. And let me explain it to you because it's fascinating. So, So this picture that's coming up on the screen right now, is a picture of what the Temple Mountain looked like uh, during Jesus' time, right? And it's, this, it's this, this complex of buildings and courtyards. And each part of this building here in the middle, the temple, uh, had this specific purpose and a specific audience for, for each part. Like the, most, the, the middle part of the temple, the most kind of inner part of the temple, uh, was the most sacred part, and it was called the most holy place. And in that place, the high priest would enter once a year to make an offering for the sins of the people. And then right outside of that room was called the holy place. Now, the holy place is where offerings were given on a regular basis by the priest. And and, and it was between these two rooms, the most holy place and the holy place, that a curtain rested. And that curtain was the curtain that was torn when Jesus was crucified. Right? And, and outside of that room was this courtyard, and this courtyard was called the Court of the Israelites. or some, some it, it, It's also called the Court of Men because it was where the men who had been ritually purified would go to gather and worship and pray, and they'd get to see the, the sacrifices being made and all the goings-on in there. And then outside of that court was what's called the Court of the Women. And this court is believed to hold up to 6,000 people, and it was huge. And, and, and surrounding this complex was another courtyard, and this is where oftentimes teaching took place, and Jesus would teach there a lot of times. And teachers would stand on the steps, and, and they would speak to those in the courtyard. And beyond this is a wall. That wall created another courtyard. That courtyard is called the Gentile Courtyard. And so for those who weren't part of the nation of Israel, that Gentile courtyard is as far as they could go. And if you were a follower of the Jewish faith, you could go further, right? And so when Paul's using this term, those who are near to God... He means those of the Jewish faith that could enjoy the benefits of being close to all the goings on and, and seeing the priest and, and then making the sacrifices and worship and being part of that community of God. They enjoyed this relationship with God and this fellowship and relationship with those who were there. And then those who are far from God were the Gentiles, those on that other side of the wall. And so they were further distant from that relationship with God. They were further distant from the relationship with God's people. They were divided by a dividing wall. Now, with that in our heads, let's look at verse 13 again, because verse 13 says, But now in Christ, you who were once far off on the side of that wall have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so Paul is saying, you were on the outside, but guess what? Now you have been brought near. You're on the inside. Look at verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so you see what Paul is doing here. He said there used to be two camps, but now there's one. There used to be those who weren't allowed close to the temple and those who are, but now because of Jesus, there's one, because there used to be this dividing wall of hostility between them. Now, this dividing wall, as we can see in this picture, was a literal wall but it was also this wall of the law. The law is what, what separated them. The law cut the Gentiles out of the temple. The law actually created an environment for this hostility. I mean, can you imagine a person who wasn't a Jew but worshiped the God of the Jews and they obeyed the laws of the gods of the of, 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 They obeyed the laws of, of the God of the Jews. They couldn't worship in the temple with the Jews. They were were separated. They were left out. They were far off. And they were far off from expressing the joy of that relationship with God and experiencing worship with the people of God. And what that would cause, obviously, is hostility. Here's what it'd be like. It'd be like if we took this church building and we separated this worship area into sections right? And if you were of one nationality, one ethnic group, you could come up close. Actually, let's be honest. If you're one ethnic group, we all know the prize seats are in the back of the room, apparently, because that's where most of y'all sit when you come in here, right? So if you're one ethnicity, you would get the prize seats, wherever those are, right? But if you were any other ethnicity, it would mean you would have to wait in the foyer, right? Or you would have to stay in the parking lot. You would be separated. Now, what that would do is it would cause hostility, because division creates hostility. But Jesus did away with the law. Jesus did away with that dividing wall. He did away with that hostility. And and, and Paul says that he made both one, that he created a new man in place of two. And so instead of hostility and division, he brought peace. Because both are reconciled to God, because all are reconciled to God. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Now this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 57 verse 19 that says this, that that the Messiah would come and preach peace to all, because God's desire has always been for all to come to him for all to know the Savior, for all to know Jesus. And Jesus paved the way for this. But the question is, how is this done? Like, did Jesus just show up and just start preaching peace? Did he tell people, just settle down, relax, let it go? Was that his way to peace? And Paul's going Paul's gonna to show us how he brought that peace. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. And so what's interesting is Paul is telling us that it wasn't the sermon that Jesus delivered that brought peace. It was Jesus that brought peace. It was his death, burial, and resurrection that brought peace. It wasn't any sermon that he delivered on any step at the Temple Mount that peace was found in the one who preached it. Peace was found in Jesus. You see, peace was found in only one person. And the unity that Paul is talking about here is based on that one person. It is based on Jesus. Now, I, 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 sometimes I kind of geek out on, on words and what they mean in Scripture. And, 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 and this word for access is a, is a great word because it's a, it's a word in, in the Greek language that means gatekeeper. See, in the ancient royal courts, there would be a person who would take a stranger and introduce him to the king. So if you wanted to see the king, you would have to talk to this gatekeeper right? And if he trusted you and brought you to the king, it would mean that the king would trust you, right? Because there was that much, that was much weight on this. If, If the gatekeeper accepted you, then the king accepted you. The word here is that word. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, there's this great picture of this, right? In Return of the Jedi, Luke shows up, right, and he's going to Jabba the Hutt's palace, and he shows up outside, and he knocks, and there's this guy that opens the door, the guy that that has like the tail around his shoulders, you know, he has this tail coming off his head. His name is Bib Fortuna. Yes, I had to Google that. I don't know that off the top of my head, but that's his name. Bib Fortuna is the gatekeeper to Jabba. If Bib Fortuna brought you into Jabba's presence, it meant that Jabba should trust you. Well, what Luke does is he does this little Jedi mind trick on this poor guy. And, and, and this guy ushers Luke into Jabba's presence. And Jabba is, is horrified that a Jedi is in his palace, right? Because Bib Fortuna would know better than to do this and because he trusted him that much. That's a picture of, of what this word access means. And what Paul is saying is that the same picture here is used for Jesus, that if Jesus is the one who brings you into the king's presence, you are in. The difference is you don't need a Jedi mind trick, right? right? You're in because Jesus brings you into the king's presence. Paul is saying that Jesus is our usher into the presence of the king. And this is why our peace resides in him, right? Because no religion can do this right? No sermon can provide that type of relationship, that type of peace. Sermons only point to the one who can provide that kind of peace. And through Jesus, we get to have that peaceful relationship with God. We get to have that peace. And so let me ask you, and I'd love to see your responses to this, do you need peace in your life today? Do you get overwhelmed watching the news? Do you get overwhelmed by your own emotions, by how you see people reacting? Do you get overwhelmed by, 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 by even how you see people reacting that you know and love? And even maybe even those here, here at Fellowship, some of you might feel like you're actually caught up in the ethnic battles similar to what was going on here in the New Testament. But the truth is we all have battles that we are facing every day. Right? And In those battles, it's easy to feel hostile. It's easy to make an enemy out of someone who's not an enemy. And now maybe your first step to finding this type of peace is to let Jesus be your access to God, to let Jesus be your peace. John fourteen six says this, As I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this was, this was Jesus saying this. And so maybe you've been trying to approach God all by yourself with, with, with what you have to give him, with the best efforts that you have. The problem is what Paul said earlier, without Jesus as your gatekeeper, without Jesus as your access, you are without hope, right? You can't come to God without Jesus. And so maybe the first step for you today for this piece is to trust that Jesus is your gatekeeper to trust that his death, burial, and resurrection paid the penalty. And, 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 or think about it this way, that he paid the fee, right? To get in. And that fee is the cost of your sin that separated you from God. And Jesus fixes that. And He is your access to the King. And for many of us that are listening to that, we already know that. We have done that. We have, Jesus is our gatekeeper. But for us... The question is the same. Where do you need peace? You see, maybe your issue is the division that you see today. Maybe it's the division that you see over race right now. Maybe it's the division that you see over wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Maybe it's the division that you see about meeting together or not meeting together. Whatever it is, where do you feel that hostility rising up? Because church, listen to me, that's where you need peace. Because these issues, any of these issues, all of these issues can divide us here at Fellowship Asheville. Not just a church in Ephesus. But they can divide us. Now, just in case you're wondering, have, gosh, has Fred been getting a bunch of emails or something? I haven't. Right? Like, I'm not speaking to anybody in particular, which is actually the perfect time to talk about this. As far as I know, we're not a divided church. We're a unified church. And listen to me, as your pastor, I want that unity to stay right where it needs to stay, which is what we're going to what we're going to see next. Cuz she let me let me tell you this that that our peace, the peace that we experience is found when Jesus is our access to the king. Right? And that's essential because here's why. Look look at what's at stake in verse 19. It says this, verse 19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. And so Jesus, before you said yes to Jesus, you were separated, you were without hope, you were strangers, but now we're into this you are section. And Paul uses some great imagery here, and he says you are citizens, right? And citizens are a people that belong. A citizen meets the requirements to call a place home. If you're watching this and you're an American citizen, it means that you meet the requirements to call America home, right? And Jesus is saying, and and, and Paul is saying that Jesus is our legal requirement to call heaven home right? We are citizens of the kingdom of God because Jesus has met all the requirements for us. Now, the theological term for this is justification, right? And justification is this legal term that means declared right. And in Jesus, we are declared rightful people of the kingdom of God. And so your citizenship is based on Jesus meeting those requirements, not you. Aren't you glad for that? that we have a gatekeeper, and his name is Jesus. But because you are a citizen, it also means you have a home. You see, you're a citizen in the household of God. You are part of a family. And for you right now, that family is Fellowship Asheville. You were a stranger, but now you have a family. What's great is the, the term for hospitality in Scripture takes two words and puts them together that captures this. It takes the word stranger and brother and puts them together. That's what hospitality means. It means to make the stranger feel like part of the family. And, and that's, what, that's what being a citizen of heaven is. You were a stranger, but now you're part of a family. But Paul goes on to describe this family like this, to describe the church like this. Verse 20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, you are part of this, this thing called the church. Right? And these these last verses are looking at some great truths of what it means to be the church, and I want to focus on just one of them. This picture of a cornerstone that Christ is the cornerstone of the church, and in ancient times, the building of the cor- the, the, the placement of the cornerstone was incredibly important because that cornerstone uh, determined uh, what the building looked like. It determined what way the building faced. It determined uh, the direction of the walls. Everything about that building was measured from that cornerstone. And so Paul's point is this: is that when Jesus is our access. To a relationship with god and a relationship to the people of god when 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 the two that were separate become one because of jesus paul's point is that this that jesus is then the determining factor for what that one looks like for what the church looks like and so paul's basic point is this as jesus is so the church can be right and here's the point is that Jesus decides what this church looks like. Jesus decides what the church looks like, and Jesus decides what Fellowship Asheville looks like. And I don't mean the building, y'all. I mean the people of the church. That's what church is. It's the people. And right now, that cornerstone, Jesus, is showing us what it looks like to be the church in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Right? And so, y'all, jeopardizing, what Jesus has built, jeopardizing that cornerstone, jeopardizing all of that by dividing what Jesus has put together, that's what's at stake. You see, when we're united, we can fully worship Jesus. We're about Jesus. We declare Jesus. We we point to Jesus as our peace. And and y'all, as your pastor I need every hand in this church pointing to Jesus as the source of our peace. Because when we do that, something beautiful happens. Where division creates hostility, this is what happens when all hands are pointing to Jesus. Is that we have unity, and that unity around Jesus brings peace. You see, when we keep Jesus as the one that we're all pointing to, the one that we're aligning ourselves with, In him, we have this peace with God and this peace with each other. And so maybe this hostility you feel, maybe it feels really important. But it's not essential, right? What's essential is that peace of God found in Jesus. What's essential is that unity. It's peace with each other that we can only find in Jesus. And so I'll leave you with this last verse. it's from the book of Colossians. It says this, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts just since as members of one body you were called to peace. And then I love this last phrase, and be thankful. Because see, here's the deal. Here's, here's, I think, the barometer for us, the barometer for you and the barometer for me to know if Jesus is our peace. See, I think there's this gauge for you and me to consider if we have that peace. And it's this, that the peace of Christ makes us thankful right? And so when you sense hostility rising, when you want to hit someone, right? And you know better than to actually hit, but when you want to hit your brother or sister, uh, kids, when you want to hit your brother or sister, uh, adults, when you want to hit your brother or sister, right? And we want to separate because of some silly post, or, or even if you want to leave a church because you're angry, uh, Paul is giving this last little thing to pray and connect with Jesus and, and let him show you something to be thankful about. And so for all of us, When we feel that hostility rising, what if this week we instead shifted our mind to to meditate on Jesus, the cornerstone of this church, and then ask him to show us what to be thankful about? Now listen, if you need or you would like someone to pray with you, you can email us, or you can just leave a comment right here on Facebook, and our prayer team will follow up with you, and we will pray with you, and we would love to help you Uh, let Jesus be your peace, right? We would love to be the church with you. Let me pray real quick. Jesus, you are incredibly good to us, and I pray um, that for all of us, Father, this week you would show yourself as the source of our peace, and, and in your loving kindness, you would draw us near to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.